RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. The Trek Files, Season 3, Episode 10, Writer's Memo, May 2nd, 1968. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans, especially, of course, all you Star Trek background fans, you canonistas, I say that lovingly, Trekophiles spelled with an F. Seriously, anybody who looks lovingly back at the original series is going to get a kick out of this one today. We've actually got... A third season script memo from from some names you may have heard of. <laughs> but listen, go to the Trek Files on Facebook, where as every week you can see the document that we're talking about. Follow along with us as we have a sample here, and then I will be right back with this week's special guest, and we will dive into the dreaded third season of the original series. Take a listen. Before preparation date, I expect that we will have at least four scripts in Mimeo, with at least an additional three going in the following week. In addition to this, if network doesn't hold me up, I hope to have an additional five into first draft before we start shooting. I do not want to go ahead with more than two additional teleplays until I know exactly how many spots you want me to hold open for you. I don't feel I'm in any kind of a bind, so I'm not pressuring you for an answer. It's just that it would give me a nice, comfortable feeling if I had a couple of Gene Rodberry scripts in gray covers. All right. Yes. Third season, original series. And for all of you out there who are, you know, you Johnny-come-latelys of merely the last 20 years, who say you're not a big fan of the original and you, you can't, you just can't abide by the 60s style and the time. And I hear you. I understand that. I understand. I hope at some point, though, you do give a listen. You do give a look at the original series. That's where everything Star Trek Today came from. Yes, even Discovery, as we're finding out with incessant rewatches of The Cage, a menagerie, obviously. I will give you the conceit that, you know, even in the day, even in the first round of 70s and 80s comeback fandom, we all knew. When someone mentioned the dreaded third season, aside from two or three shining, shining moments, we all know what was up with that. So it was with a lot of <laughs> a lot of fun and trepidation both that I came across this document from Fred Freiberger, who was the third season producer as Gene Roddenberry famously stood back from the show because he didn't get his way on his time slot uh, and was also trying to develop new projects. So I knew that the perfect person to talk about this with this week was a fellow original series fan and also owner of a paycheck or two from Star Trek himself, Dave Rossi. Hello, Larry. Hey, how about that for a long-winded introduction? But (laughs) (laughs) you know what? The third season is just so funny. People are so... I don't know if you know this, Dave. But there's a tendency online for Star Trek fans Mm -hmm. to go off on a tear and find a way to be on one side or the other about almost anything about Star Trek. Really? I know. What, what's amazing to me is in going through the archives and going through the strata of ancient Trekdom, that seems to have been happening ever since, like, the third season of the original <laughs> don't, don't be shocked, Dave, but there are those who <laughs> may not hold the third season in as high regard as they do the first two. Well, I find that outrageous. 
<laughs> no, I mean, yeah. The, the, they uh, must be morgues. <laughs> they are not morgues. They are not eye morgues. <laughs> third season and third season. What is third season? Yeah. No, um, speaking of which. No, this is this is great. This is, And I love the fact that I hope I know people are seeing this. Yes, those are yellow pages because these were yellow carbons, folks. Before photo, you know, before photocopying, before xeroxing, uh, a yellow. These carbon. are all still words that half the audience does not understand. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, these were like tissue paper carbons that they were typing on. It's also interesting that third season he's got Desilu stationary here when they were they were Paramount by then. But Fred Freiberger was the as the years went by the much um, lambasted third season producer. He sure was right, but he was the guy. Like you come, he comes in and takes over series. And it's their last season. <laughs> yeah. And, fr- and frankly, look, in his defense. Not his, right. Not his fault. But it, that's. Yeah, no one sets out to make a bad production. No one sets out to, to sink the ship. That's great. We should put that on a bumper sticker. You like that? Right? Yeah, yeah. No one sets out to make a bad movie. TV show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that doesn't protect them from. <laughs> right. <laughs> on the other hand. Yeah. Yeah. No favor. So, but the fact that. I mean, there's several things going on here. Number one. It's a, I mean, in the in the uh, in the Berman era, I came to know these as script status reports because things were being churned out. Twenty six episodes a year, two two and three shows there for one year mm-hmm. in development at once. Um, this is his attempt at a, and you know it happened all the time. Dorothy would do these earlier in the run here, um, but it's his report. It's his report to Gene. They're still getting. It's May. They're barely getting the third season cranked up. It's only been two, three months since the. Oh, look, we saved the show, and I think everybody already knows the handwriting on the wall is this is the borrowed. Right. This is the borrowed year. But hey, they're gonna they're gonna trudge along and get it done. But they're already in the works. You know, famously, first season, Gene was always behind, and Bob Justman would stand on his desk till he got the script rewrite done. <laughs> they, you know, Gene Kuhn alleviated that. So here's Fred Freiberger trying to have as many scripts as he can. Right, you have to you have to have a head start. You can't go into these without you know writing week to week. You, you've got to have a, a stable of scripts ready to go. Yeah. So before you even get to like the specific scripts, the background here is Freiberger is new in the job. He's he is coming into an established show that he knows barely was on the bubble and got back into 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 production, but he doesn't want to be the one to um, f it up, right? Uh, so he's and he's still answering to Gene, the great bird, who is still his boss. Uh, he's channeling all this detailed information about the first few scripts out of the gate. Not all of them. We may know the titles readily of, but we eventually can track down <laughs> what some of these became. But uh, he's um, he's trying to show that he's got gray covers. I guess is the first draft, the first draft printing for their scripts. But mm-hmm. just the fact that that they're on the verge of shooting and they're close to starting off with uh, with Spectre the Gun, or well, the last gunfight here, which became Spectre, obviously. Uh, well, I don't know what struck you as reading over this because we've obviously got some things that are close to being made and some you know he tails off to the ones that are farther away. But he's well again I you know whenever I see and I see it a lot. Bob Justman's name comes up in these things all the time. As you know, we've talked about this before, but as an unsung hero of this series. Um, I mean, here it is. Bob's. It was Bob's idea to stylize the set so that mm-hmm. they were just flats um, to come up with the Melkotian kind of mind thing that they were playing with. And uh, uh, that's the first thing that struck me. Just the, the fact that, once again, 
Bob Justman is mm-hmm. is in there working creatively on the show, but uh, but also minding the, the dollars and cents of the show. I mean, the guy was everywhere. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, it was a wonderful conceptual idea to show the unreality, the twilight zoniness of the situation. Right, exactly. But it saved bucks. Completely. Which is kind of the guiding, <laughs> yeah, the guiding principle. There, Especially right? in this season. Right, right. They were cutting them even further. Um, Lee Cronin, I'm happy to inform you, was... Uh, <laughs> Right now, here's here's where I you, you take away my Star Trek card. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine. I just found out over a burger <laughs> that Lee Cronin was Gene Coon's pen name. I didn't know that. Yeah, pen name, right? Yeah, because he was he had left the show, exhaustion, what have you, differences with Gene over humor in the scripts. But he's at Universal, and you can't write for two shows for another studio. Right. So. But Lee Cronin can. (laughs) And not just this one, but there are so many memos where uh, even the genes are talking to each other. Gene Roddenberry will tell Gene Kuhn, well, I hope Lee Cronin is able to get this one uh, bashed out in a couple of days and get on to the next one. Yeah, it's how they keep that up. You never know when the Guild is going to come looking for documentation. That's right. We had no idea. No. Um, But yeah, the last gunfight. You know, it does feel like... Uh, there's a carryover from second season. There are a few stories that carry over, and um, Freddie's developing those. And I think this was one. The ideas were certainly there. You know, it was, it was a carryover. But, uh, you know, my gosh, and the children shall lead. Oof. Talk about uh, no one starts out to make a bad show. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I changed my mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, a, that, that's a, for those of you uh, not to... Uh, you know, plugged into the third season of right. Star or Trek, the original series at all. Um, right. Avoid that episode. <laughs> yeah, or the friendly angel will come to get you. That's fire, right. Fire and snow. Talking about global warming. No, the uh, you know, and the thing I always say about and the children shall leave. But hey, we got the Federation banner. That's right. <laughs> that's what. That's, that's right. There's that's no silver lining in every episode. There like. is. It's a graphic. If nothing else, take the graphic and run. No, it's it's infamous. But the point here, they're talking. These are all just scripts. None are good, none are bad. They're all just scripts and work. And to be talking about and the children shall lead like, hey, I can't, I can't wait for you to see this one, Gene. Well, it's interesting. He says, you know, that he's talking about uh, uh, Edward Lasko's revised script and saying, well, he surprised me and did more work than I expected. I, I have to say he didn't do enough. <laughs> he didn't do enough. Somebody <laughs> didn't polish in ret- that. In retrospect. <laughs> Arthur Singer, his two days of polishing, maybe needed two weeks. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But then you go on down the line. So Spock's brain. Spock's brain is Spock's brain. That's a fun episode. I spoke to our new friend, Lee Cronin. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Um, About using Spock's brain against the Enterprise people, and he seemed delighted with the suggestion. But yet that never never materializes within the the story. I don't know. The delight. Yeah. yeah. See, here's the genes talking about their own. They have their sidebar conversation as two old pros. Um, And they mention wink of an eye. And wink of an eye coming down the road. Right. And now here's a, here's a, now in essence nothing may mean nothing to a lot of our listeners, but that's Judy Byrne's story that becomes the Tholian Web, right? Which is a highlight to me of the third season. There are two or three Tholian Web, the Enterprise incident. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think it would be interesting to find, uh, and I'm sure this stuff exists for Next Gen. What original uh, scripts and stories were called? Before their titles were changed, right, 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 right. Well, we, uh, I, yeah. we we get the doc, you know, the better the documentation. I got in a little bit of that with uh, with the next generation in my book. But here's another one: the Answerer. People say what? Yeah. Um, 
Here's your a clue here that Arthur Singer, who was their token second tier, you know, the, 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 not eight, eight uh, writer producers on this show, boy. Yeah, right. <laughs> it's it's uh, barely Gene and then uh, Fred and then at this point Arthur Singer. Is the script consultant or the you know the the token? Uh, That's on interesting staff. when you see shows with you know eleven executive producers. It's you got to wonder what's going on there. And then still two or three below the line writers in the rear credits, right? In the end titles, yeah. So the answer turned out to be the Empath, yeah, which is in a work great show. here. Yeah, great show. Uh, big budget saver too, boy. <laughs> a black stage and three couches and a couple of chains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now here, this one, this this is a little bit of an enigma. So. Uh, Theater Sturgeon, Ted Sturgeon, for those who tried to hire him and have him write scripts. Um, Shoreleave 2, a sequel to Shoreleave. And doing a little bit of research, turns out, uh, obviously never produced for third season. Right. Uh, There was an animated episode that has his name on it, Once Upon a Planet, but apparently this was different. We're still trying to find paperwork for what this might have been. But... um, I'm amazed they bought a story from him after what happened with Amok Time and and uh, short, the original Shirley because they famously Ted Sturgeon was loved to have the sci-fi name in the trenches. Right, as a novelist, uh, <laughs> it's a great name to have in, uh, for a science fiction show. Yeah. But um, translating novel, I mean, translating your skills from writing novels to writing screenplays is it's a big jump. That's not easy to do. And famously, yeah. They, the whole first couple of years was trying to find the marriage of sci-fi writers and TV writers and get them to, get meet, them to do, right. meet in the middle. Exactly. Yeah. So here you go down that. So the Jerome Bixby, uh, Mirror, Mirror, but his script here is Day of the Dove. Uh, you know, it's just it's just people doing their work right. here, and he's just reporting in. Jerry Saul. I'm on Jerry Saul's back about <laughs> whom gods destroy. Yeah, which is what that is. And Rick Valeritz, I hope I'm getting his name right there, uh, for The World is Hollow. Um, an interesting story. But, you know, to read about all these things in their nebulous days. So they had quite a bit. Yeah. David with the Tribbles uh, uh, oh, sequel. Yeah. Right. Um, but I've explained to him that uh, the network turned down his outline due to a lack of action and menace. <laughs> <laughs> assured him I'd be happy to see his outline on another Tribbles story, especially after he assured me that you assured him <laughs> that it would be getting consideration. Yeah. So that it's again, it's that change in who's running the show. And Freiberger's personality, and uh, Freiberger, who famously said, "I don't think," um, uh, turned down a couple of scripts because I don't think comedy is Star Trek's forte. Right. So maybe he heard the the little bit of tiff between the genes about comedy creeping into scripts and lightheartedness. And I seem to remember a story as well that uh, that uh, uh, Fred Freiberger had seen Trouble with Tribbles, didn't get it, and called. David Geraldine to say, I don't get it. So we're not doing another one. Yeah. Uh, there you go. Uh, but here he is, winds up with uh, talking about what he intends to do uh, and getting it. They wound up doing, you know, 26 for the third season. Again, the third season we say with um, the, the thing, he, all of these early memos, we've got two or three of them. Uh, we'll get around to some more. But he's talking about. Hey, Gene, I've got two slots for you. I've got two slots for you. And we found a deal memo where he intended it to. He did get around to doing uh, stories. He did story on Savage Curtain, didn't do the final script. He was co-script on Turnabout Intruder, (laughs) I guess, to wrap it up. But, you know, the whole thing about Gene being hands-off the third season and – which which we find varying evidence of how hands-off he was. Well, regardless of the – 
professional political issues that led Gene to walk away from the show was still his show. I mean, it was still his baby, right? So certainly he had a... You don't stop thinking about these things. And if it tanks in the third season, you're out selling something else. You you want people to go, good God, Gene, what happened on the last year? That's right. You're selling idic medallions. Yeah. Making money. Yeah. Well, that can be in the big mix of things, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But it's time to move on to PAX. And uh, the God thing and other things, other, you know, and, and Questor and all of that coming right. down the line. Yeah, see the CCs here, Bob Justman and Arthur Singer, the big, the sprawling Star Trek staff. You're right, exactly. <laughs> in the front office. That's interesting. It's, this is May, and they had, what, uh, 12 episodes mm-hmm. ready to go or so, something like in, that? In the pipeline. He's yeah. got uh, six pretty far along. Well, shore leave two, looks like it's, right. yeah. we know what happened to that. But, yeah, he's, he's trying to prove to his new boss yeah. that he's on top of it. Even if we can't find any trace of his new boss answering him back, yeah, that would be the, that would be the interesting one to see what what uh, Gene's take on these episodes were. Yeah, I think he does weigh in, but he's 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 not in the uh, you know Freddie's a is a memo writer, which is interesting. Not a Bob Justman type memo writer. No, but, uh, and we're a far cry from those early goofy memos, you know, from the making of Star Trek Immortalized, right? Uh, Vulcan names and starship names and all that, and may the great bird of the galaxy bless your planet. But you know, Fred's in there. Uh, he's in there swinging in the trenches. Do you think history's been kind to Fred Freiberger? No, you? not at all. <laughs> Do you think it was justified? How about that? Obviously, yeah. Uh, was it justified? Well, that's... Because, you know, he killed Space 1992, 1999 also, I should say. Uh, there are a host of shows supposedly Freddy Freiberger killed. Space 1992, that was the earlier version of the, of the script. That was, that was the animated... <laughs> Uh, yeah, you know, look, this guy came in knowing nothing about Star Trek. He he came in to run a show that, for all intents and purposes, the studio had already kind of written off. Uh, they cut the budget drastically, and they said, get this thing done. Get it out the door. So, um, you know, with that in mind, I, I don't know how much you can pin on him for, you know, he wasn't mm-hmm. part of Star Trek. It's not his mm-hmm. thing. He he came in to to be a functionary for the studio to do this. So I think he probably did the best job he thought he could do. Whether that was a, a you know from fandom's point of view, you know it's certainly not season one or two. So uh, he he dropped the ball in that way. But but I, I don't think you can yeah. fault the guy for trying. Yeah, one of my first memories being a kid in fandom is uh, as enough years went by, seeing uh, the BNFs, the big name fans, talking about how. And, and listeners, I know this will shock you, but <laughs> before, before Discovery, before Enterprise, before DS9 and Voyager, before Next Generation, before the Wrath of Khan and Don't You Dare Kill Off Spock, I remember one of my first memories is realizing there's a chunk of fandom that did not recognize the third season as canon because <laughs> because that Freddie Freiberger just bastardized everything about Spock and Falcons and and their sexuality and and what they did in Enterprise Incident and uh, the Cloud Miners was just a, Spock would never act like that and it's just disgusting and I don't accept the third season. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, you can do that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So take that head cannon. Yeah, right. Uh, you and your buzz phrases of the aughts and the teens. Yeah, yeah. But poor Fred Freiberger. At least he could write a memo. When, when I get uh, down on season three, I go read the pilot for Space 1992. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You've inspired me. I'm going to do it the same. 
Yes, indeed, Dave. Thanks again for dropping by. And uh, you know what? I think we'll have you back. I would love to. My pleasure. All right. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Additional production by Ken Ray. All these documents are available, as always, at facebook.com slash thetrekfiles. For more great podcasts, check out podcast.roddenberry.com. And for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek and Portal 47. That's me at larrynimachek.com. Trek well, everybody. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.